All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I'm recording this on an off day for the Nuggets. They will play on Friday against the Houston Rockets. Obviously, we're coming off of what I think is probably the worst loss of the season against the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, on Wednesday night, but... You get a little bit of distance from it. You get a little bit less emotional and you start to realize, hey, it's one game out of 82. This is not going to be the defining moment of the Nuggets season or anything like that. So it's not worth really stressing over too terribly much. I just happen to think that there are some big takeaways from that previous game that I think are important and that people should continue to hold in regard as, as we continue to watch the rest of the season. But for what it's worth, again, it was one game out of eighty-two. It like you can get a lot good vi- a lot of good vibes over the course of these next five games where Denver plays the Golden State Warriors twice. They play another couple of bad teams against Houston and uh, New Orleans and uh, Sacramento. So they've got five games in conference that all of them are winnable. It's not like they can't win them, though they do have a really really tough. Uh, four games and five nights during that stretch. So there's going to be a lot of games in a very short amount of time. And we're going to learn a lot about this team over the course of the next week and a half. On this podcast, I am going to be taking a closer look at the, the Western Conference playoff picture. Mostly it's going to be about the top teams, Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, Utah, Dallas, etc. I will spend a little bit of time on the play-in tourney guys uh, see if Denver, like, because I think there's a chance that Denver falls into the plan. And I, it's a non-zero chance for sure that if you have more losses like you did against OKC, then it's going to become a reality much sooner than people would hope. So got to at least talk about it. Got to at least think about what that means for Denver. But for now, before we get into it, I do want to talk about there are two reports that came out involving Denver's top three players. The first was Mike Singer's report that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. were slated to go to play with the Grand Rapids Gold, maybe not like play games, but just practice and scrimmage a little bit. And instead, they are not going to do that. There was some sort of change of hearts. I think people can speak about that any number of ways. It's not really clear what the change of heart was, but it does seem like The fact that Jamal Murray was going to go practice, was going to go maybe scrimmage, like that's a pretty good sign that he might be on his way back. He has been so off the radar in terms of withholding information and nobody's been able to get a a firm report on when or if Jamal Murray is going to be back. Michael Malone has obviously said, hey, not going to pressure him, not going like it's on his timetable, no pressure from me, whatnot. But it is nice to see that, hey, he's as at that stage that he might be practicing. He might be um, scrimmaging even. And that's a, a really good sign. So they haven't done two on two or three on three or five on five or anything like that yet. But my guess is that they will in the coming weeks, coming days, honestly. And how they respond to that, how they feel about that and kind of the ramp up towards physical activity you hope that by the middle point in March, which is in, what, today's the third, so that's in 12 days, 
you hope that you get a a larger a larger picture, a better, more clear picture of what they're going to look like going forward at that point. So we're going to learn a lot over the course of the next 10 days about this Nuggets team, I think. And whether that's reports about their star players or if it's just what's going on on the floor, I think we're going to learn a lot. The next one, uh, Misko Razdanovich. Gosh, I, I, I just call him Misko because I, I can never remember his last name, but he is the the czar of Europe sports agents right now because he's Nikola Jokic's agent. And he's a big name over there in the Eastern Europe side of things as an agent. And he was speaking on a podcast, I believe, or at least in a report. And, and the report was that Jokic is going to sign a Supermax this offseason. And it wasn't, I think, I don't think it was they were going to offer it. I think it was that he was going to sign it. So I'm going to have to go back over that and just make sure uh, make sure I'm not crazy about that. But that's also big news that Denver's big. Like, none of this matters. None of any of the conversation about Denver matters. Murray coming back, Porter coming back, whatever. All those things are extremely important. Don't get me wrong. But if Jokic bails, then that would be awful. That's like, that's there's nothing at that point. But it doesn't sound like he's going to. It sounds more like he's perfectly ready to go from a locking it in standpoint and just willing to take the extension. He's going to get paid the maximum amount that he can. He seems like he's happy here. There's no reason to really change anything. And I hope that he does. I hope that we get to celebrate that this offseason, hopefully on July 1st, that when he does sign that deal, it's going to be the largest contract in NBA history because the cap is going to go up and he is signing a super max deal. So if he gets that, then we're going to be able to celebrate and we're going to have a good time with that. So I look forward to that if it does end up happening. Um, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't, but I just wanted to be able to talk about that off the top here. Okay, I am going to put five minutes on the clock for each of the teams that I am about to talk about. I'm going to talk about the top three seeds here in the first segment of this pod. And basically what's going to happen is I'm going to go over some pertinent information about what they do well, what they don't do well, and sort of my confidence level about if Denver were to face them in a playoff series, how the Nuggets would perform. How confident am I that Denver could win? So we're going to go over that five minutes on the clock, and we're going to start with Phoenix. Their win-loss on the season, 50-12. and 12. They are so by far the best team in the NBA right now that it's not really funny. Win-loss over the last 15 games is 12-3. and three. Two of those losses have come without Chris Paul. There was a stretch of games before that where they were 19-1 and one in 20 games. They are legit, and they're legit on both sides of the ball, where they have an offensive rating that ranks third, and a defensive rating that ranks third. Denver's head-to-head record against them this season is 1-1, one and, one, and the one win that they did have was on the opening night of the season. So I'm not sure how much that can be like taken into account, because it, weird things happen on opening night. But it did look like Denver played them pretty well, but it also looked like Phoenix was doing some vanilla stuff. They weren't targeting anybody immediately. 
Here's what they do well, though. Number one, execution. They are the best team in the world at attacking weaknesses. Chris Paul, he's so good at hunting out the biggest weakness of the opposing team and digging at it constantly. Number two, versatility. They can beat you and guard you in so many different ways with the personnel that they have. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they can both score from all three levels of the floor. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, they're very comfortable taking the corner threes, taking the above the break threes off of a contested shot, but they can also drive to the rim. They can also move off ball and they're smart players. So they know how to manipulate the defense and take advantage of Chris Paul's brain. And then DeAndre Ayton, he's so good at attacking the rim. And even on the shots where he can't get all the way to the rim, he's one of the best in the NBA at outside the restricted area, inside the paint, hitting the shot at the dotted line that Nikola Jokic hits so frequently. DeAndre Ayton, nearly in his tier there. Honestly, he might actually be in his tier. What DeAndre Ayton can do, it helps space the court for the Suns so well because he finishes that shot like it's a rim shot. He does so well with that. And then he can also defend in a variety of different ways, whether it's playing aggressively at the level, playing in drop, uh, having the defense play a more aggressive style versus a more conservative style, whether they can switch, whether they hedge. They do a lot of different things well. Number three, clutch factor. They are the best team in the clutch. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, obviously that's a big deal, but everybody on that team knows who they are and they do that so well. When you know your role and you can kind of fixate on that a little bit, it gives you such an advantage over teams where they have a little bit of question marks towards the end of the games. The Suns have none. Here's what they struggle with, though. Here are the three things that the Suns struggle with, or two, actually. Number one is quick guards. So Ja Morant, De'Aaron Fox, players of that caliber that are quick, athletic, um, that Mikhail Bridges can't necessarily keep up with all the time, those are the guys that the Suns really struggle with. Now, the Nuggets don't have a guy like that, and Jamal Murray would be the closest but he's somebody that's he, he might not be at his quickest when when and if the Nuggets end up playing the Suns in the playoffs. Number two, teams that are comfortable in the mid-range are actually pretty good against the Suns because that's what the Suns will give up. They like to prevent shots at the rim. They like to prevent shots from behind the arc, but they're a little bit vulnerable from the mid-range, and some teams can shoot pretty well against them. So if you're a team like Actually, the Nuggets are a pretty good example of a team that could shoot well in those situations with Murray and Jokic and Porter and Morris and Barton. There's a lot of guys that can make their bones about the mid-range, but it's just about executing. It's about beating the initial scheme, continuing to work for the easiest shots and not settling unless you have to. But that's about all they struggle with. And I'm going to put Denver, like my confidence in the Nuggets beating Phoenix in a series out of one to 10 with 10 being the most confident, it's at like a one or a two. And it's not because I don't think that Denver has the talent when everybody's healthy. It's just that I don't think that they're going to have enough time 
to kind of get that in gear. And the Suns are just going to pick at every single weakness. I think that Denver will miss not having an, another perimeter defender. That's one of the matchups that I'm a little bit concerned with. And like, you're going to have to trust Bones Highland or Austin Rivers or Faku Campazo or some of these other guys that they might do well. They might be fine. They also might not. So we will see. Let's move to Golden State and Golden State on the season, 43 and 20 after losing tonight to the Dallas Mavericks. They are eight and seven in their last 15 games. They've been very average, but their offensive rating is the reason why. It's actually not their defensive rating. Their defensive rating is still the best in the league. Although I do think that so much of that is because they had such a lead in defensive rating at the beginning of the season. In their last 15 games, um, let's just look at this really quickly. The Golden State Warriors are the 12th ranked offense and the 19th ranked defense. So they are still average to slightly above average, but the reason is because of their offense now. Their defense has fallen off without Draymond Green, and it really is the difference between those two. The Nuggets have not faced Draymond Green yet this season. They haven't faced the Golden State Warriors with Draymond. They are 2-0 against the Golden State Warriors, I think, as a result of that. Now, is Draymond going to be the Jokic stopper? Is he going to be somebody that really makes it difficult for Nikola Jokic? I don't know. Probably not. But I do think that Draymond adds another layer, and he's just another guy that that Denver wouldn't necessarily be able to run an elite passing and cutting offense against. But Golden State probably will. That's what Golden State does best over anything. It's passing and it's cutting. With Curry and Clay and Jordan Poole and as many of the players as they have that are elite shooters, or at least really, really good shooters that can leverage their outside shot, Draymond does such a good job of manipulating the defense, as does Curry, and they generally get some good shots at the rim because of the shooting gravity. This is the Golden State Warriors formula. That's how they make their bones. It's not necessarily the shooting, although that is a big deal. The explosive shooting. When you have a guy like Curry or a guy like Clay, even if you defend against the passing and the, and the cutting, they can bail out their own team's strategy at times and just go 6 of 10 or 7 of 12 or 8 of 15 or something absurd like that. And there's no telling when it's going to happen, but it will because they're that talented. Finally, perimeter defense is something that I'm generally impressed with when I see Golden State. Curry is a better defender than he ever has been. Clay, still pretty good. Not the best that he's ever been, but Andrew Wiggins is pretty good. Gary Payton II is really good. He's somebody that I'm always watching and thinking, man, I wish we had somebody like that on the Nuggets. That would be fantastic. He would be so fun to watch for so many reasons. But I do think that Jordan Poole can be taken advantage of from a perimeter defense standpoint. And there are other players that if they get out on the court, you're going to want to target them as opposed to Gary Payton II. Don't pass the ball anywhere near that guy. But they do struggle with the Golden State Warriors. The dominant bigs, just kind of going back and looking through some of the games that they've lost this year, 
They've lost games to the Wolves, to the Nuggets, to the Sixers, to the Jazz. Teams that have bigs and, frankly, just players that dominate the rim, dominate the paint, are going to be difficult for the Warriors to match up with because as good as Kevon Looney has become on the defensive end, he's not matching up with those guys, at least not by himself. And if those guys can then avoid the double team, or if they kind of pass around the double team reasonably well, then you still have open shots all around the floor. So Denver's well-positioned here because they've got the most dominant big in the NBA. Full stop. Number two, uh, the Golden State Warriors struggle with off-the-dribble creation outside of Steph Curry. He's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Like, one of the best ever as an off-the-dribble shooter. But there are very few players on that team outside of him that I'm really scared of. I am much, I'm I'm very willing to lose to off-the-dribble Klay Thompson shots, off-the-dribble Andrew Wiggins shots, and off-the-dribble Jordan Poole shots. If that's how... The Golden State Warriors win, so be it. Finally, corner threes. Uh, For whatever reason, Golden State is 29th in the NBA in three-point percentage at the corner three. Not sure why that is, but if that's the shot that they struggle with, it's probably a a reflection of the role players that are in that position. So let Draymond shoot from there. Let Wiggins shoot from there. Let Gary Payton II shoot from there, whoever. But don't let Clay and, and Curry shoot from there. Confidence interval for the Nuggets, 1 to 10. I'd probably go 3 to 4. I think it's much more confident than the Sun series, but I do think that it's less confident, I think, than anybody else. Just because the Warriors have been here before, they know what they're doing. And I still need to see what Denver looks like when they match up against Draymond Green, as opposed to matching up against Kevon Looney, and that's it. Finally, for this segment, the Memphis Grizzlies. They're 43 and 21. They ran into the brick wall tonight. That is the Boston Celtics defense. And I think it continued to highlight some of the issues that they have. Um, despite the fact that they are 11 and 4 in their last 15, they've got the fourth best offense, eighth best defense. Denver's head to head record against them is 0 and 3, but I do think that Denver can beat them because of the half court offense problem that they have. Before tonight, and I'm sure it's going to go down. They were 23rd in points per play in the half court on cleaning the glass. And cleaning the glass does a great job of kind of stipulating between whether a team is better in the half court, in transition, on putbacks, uh, different locations on the floor, things like that. Cleaning the glass does a great job. And they give some great breakdowns and, and have some great ways to break down where the Memphis Grizzlies are so good. Their best strength is their transition game. They do such a great job of getting out in transition, getting the easiest possible points. They are the best show in the NBA when they can get on the move. John Morant is the best show in the NBA regardless. But I do think that if you let them get into transition, you're going to die. Like There's no way to match up with them if you give them 25 fast break points a game or something absurd like that. Because despite the fact that they struggle in the half court, they're going to be good enough. And they have a player in jaw who would give Denver fits. 
So I do think that it's going to be pretty difficult at times for the Nuggets to match up with a team like that because of how well they attack the rim and how well they they do. They, there are some things that they do pretty well on the defensive end. Nothing that they are necessarily elite at other than preventing corner threes. They are second in the NBA in corner three-point frequency on cleaning the glass. And for a team like Denver, who takes a lot of corner threes, that is where they make up some of their overall inefficiency at times when they have not necessarily great ball handlers or if they're not finishing at the rim as well as they should. That's how Denver spaces the floor. So a team like Memphis, if they take those shots away, that could be really stressful. So... They don't do a great job of preventing above the break threes, though. And I think that's kind of a a unit of having Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson on the floor at times. We've got two bigs that want to rebound, that want to protect the rim. Zaire Williams is starting for them right now. He will probably not like he'll probably be out of the lineup. And they'll replace him with Dylan Brooks, which is going to be just another guy to really hound whoever the Nuggets have bringing the ball up. But Memphis is going to be super, super dangerous. Despite the fact that they're young, that's one of the weaknesses that I listed for them, which is kind of lame. But despite the fact that they're young, I do think that they are one of those teams that kind of like the Nuggets in 2018-19, they can be caught by the right team, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't legit. Like they have a really good profile of a team that's going to win a first round series. Because if you don't have anybody to match up with John Morant and really slow down what he does well, then it's going to come down to if you can stop them in transition and getting at, getting into transition or not, you may just not be able to. And if that's the case, then it's going to lead to a number of highlights, going to lead to a number of big runs. And Memphis is one of those teams that can really just emotionally kill you if that's the case. So I'm giving the confidence interval for Denver beating them in a series a 4 out of 10. And what I will say, 5.5 out of 10, 5 to 6, whatever that range is, that's like I think it's 50-50 for Denver to win that series. If you have Murray and Porter back, it probably goes up to like a, a 6. But it doesn't go up that high because I do think that Murray at this point, like who does he guard in that series? Who does Will Barton guard? Are they going to put Aaron Gordon on John Morant the entire time? They're going to force different players to chase around different guys. Uh, are you going to have Austin Rivers kind of playing in that spot? What's Jeff Green going to do? Like, I think there's a lot of questions against the Grizzlies specifically that could give Denver some issues. And despite the fact that Denver's 0-3 against the Grizzlies, like I'm not necessarily as worried about that, but I do think that them having two guys that can match up physically with Jokic in Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson, that's going to be difficult for Denver. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the rest of the teams that are in Denver's tier right now, Utah, Dallas, and Minnesota. But first, Hoops fans, as you know, the latest offer for DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up where you're talking between the legs 360 dunk kind of good new customers can bet just one dollar on any team get 150 in free bets if they win it's that simple 
DraftKings customers can also bet on the NBA with new same-game parlays where you combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you do. Bet just $1 on any NBA team. Get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code MHS. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, folks, we're back. Jackson and Roll, Ryan Blackman here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. I just took a break from the pod and, and just in between segments here, and, and I checked the Lakers Clipper scoring. Good Lord. It was a close game at one point, and now it is not. And it's just pretty funny. The Clippers, I'm, I'm going to talk about both the Clippers and the Lakers in segment three, but man, it's just enjoyable. I, uh, that's the the one solace of this season, I think, is just that the Lakers are a complete and utter dumpster fire. It's a lot of fun. All right, let's get into the rest of the teams in Denver's tier. I had three teams before with Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis. I think they're a tier above where Denver is right now. Utah, Minnesota, and Dallas, I think, are still in Denver's tier. I think, especially if Denver gets Murray and Porter back, they're going to look like a better, more spaced-out team on the offensive end, and that's going to be helpful for sure. Um, Yeah, no, I think <laughs> i just looking at a tweet here that – actually, never mind. I'll save that for the third segment. Um. Let's look at the teams that are in Denver's tier. Let's start with Utah here. Let's put five minutes on the clock once again. Utah's win-loss on the season is 39-22. and 22. Uh, They've kind of hit some rough patches at various points in the season, but they've overcome them. When you when Rudy Gobert is in the lineup, they are very good. He has one of the best plus-minuses in the league. Kind of like Jokic, kind of like Steph Curry, kind of like Jason Tatum, Chris Paul, etc., those guys are at the top of the plus-minus leaderboards for their teams. And so when Rudy missed some time with an injury, their defense sort of fell apart, which isn't surprising at all. But in the last 15 games, they're 9-6, and six, not necessarily the best record. And, and they have been liable, I think, to kind of underperforming at various points. The Houston Rockets took them to the brink last night. Um. But here's the thing about the Utah Jazz. They have the best offense in the league by a mile, and it's because of what they do structurally that is so good. They are first in the league in offensive rating, 12th in defensive rating, and their offense has been what's killed Denver every time in these matchups. They're 0-4, the Nuggets are. And here's what Utah does well. They shoot a bunch of threes. They lead the NBA in percentage of their shots that are threes at 43.3%. 
and they're efficient from everywhere on the court. They are second in field goal percentage at the rim. They are fourth in mid-range shot field goal percentage, and they are sixth in three-point percentage. So you've got the valuable shots from the three-point line, but it's not just the fact that they're taking a ton of those. It's that they're efficient everywhere, and they're also just taking a ton of the most valuable shot. So they're in a good spot, and they also do a great job on the defensive end. This is a, a Rudy Gobert kind of staple is that they do a good job of protecting the rim and protecting the corner three. It's pretty rare for teams to be able to do both, but Rudy Gobert allows the Utah Jazz to be able to do that. It's a lot of fun. Um, not necessarily, I mean, not fun. Fun is the wrong word, but it's good basketball to be able to watch what the Utah Jazz can do on defense and watch what Gobert can do on the defensive end. When he's not put into a compromising position, by teams that can then abuse other players on Utah's roster because here's what they they really struggle with. Nothing really offensively a ton, but the dribble creators in pick and roll and pick and pop, when you put Gobert in the pick and roll, he's mostly going to drop. And when he drops, teams that have elite pick and roll creators are going to abuse them from the mid-range area. They're going to be very good. It's going to be very tough. And that's kind of been a consistent thing for Utah for much of the season, for much of their tenure over the course of these last three to four years, let's be honest. In addition, isolation defense. This is one of those things that really came to light last year, where when they put Rudy Gobert in the corner, when other teams had Rudy Gobert, whoever he was defending, would go to the corner and it would take Rudy out of the play. The Clippers would then have their man isolated at the top of the key or kind of on the other side of the floor. And then Rudy wouldn't be in position where he could help. So if he did help, they'd be playing five out. So whoever he was defending would then shoot and they'd have an open corner three and it would be good. So I do think that this is a situation where Denver can kind of learn from that. They don't necessarily have to include Nikola Jokic in every action if they were playing Utah. They could absolutely use him as a decoy and trust that their guys can beat the Utah guys one-on-one. So we will see. We will see. I do think that their guard efficiency at times can be a little bit draining too. Mike Conley isn't the player that he once was. And in a playoff series, he's going to be playing a bunch of minutes. His efficiency might go down. Donovan Mitchell has never been the most efficient guy. He has been good in playoffs, though. So, like, he can turn it up and he can be good. He can win teams' playoff games, but he's also kind of liable at times to go cold. And then Jordan Clarkson is that guy that goes hot and cold. So, if you catch him on cold nights, then they can be very liable to explode. So, my confidence in Denver beating them in a series, it's a five out of 10. I think that more often than not, the Jazz would probably win. They would probably win it more often than not, but it would be about even. It's about 50-50, especially if Denver gets back Murray and Porter. Murray, though, was at bubble levels when he was playing against the Jazz last time. If Denver needs that this time around, I just don't know if he could be counted upon for that. It's unfair to him. So we'll just have to see. We will just have to see about that. Dallas, 
Dallas is the next team that we'll talk about here. My confidence in the Nuggets beating Dallas, it's higher than it is for Utah. But I do think that they still provide some really drastic issues. Win-loss for Dallas is 38-25. and 25. They've done some really good things in these last 15 games. They look like a better team overall without Kristaps Porzingis, and I think that's pretty funny. Their offensive rating, though, on the season is only 16th in the NBA. It's pretty average. And their defensive rating is what's really surprised. It's fifth. Denver's head-to-head against them is one and two. But here's what they do well. Three-point defense is really surprising. Like, I didn't expect them to be this good on the defensive end, but I should have probably, because there were signs from previous years that when they committed to the three-point defensive side of things, they could be a good defensive team. Right now, they are—they allow the fifth-fewest three-pointers in the NBA, and they allow the sixth-lowest three-point percentage. So not only are they allowing a low number of threes, but they're also, like, teams are not hitting them against them. They also rebound the ball really well on the defensive end. You would think that a team that has Dwight Powell, that has some smaller players on the perimeter, might not necessarily be a great defensive rebounding team, but they are. Luka does a great job. It's one of the things when you look at triple-double numbers, that's not necessarily the first thing that you think of, but he helps them rebound on the defensive end. He's a big body. And on the offensive end, it really is just Luka. Like, they surround him with some other creators and shooters. But when he's off the court, you've got Jalen Brunson, you've got uh, Spencer Dinwiddie now. Both of those guys have had pretty good stints with the Dallas Mavericks so far. But Luka, can, he can just win teams' games on the offensive end. And he's been doing it lately. He was the February player of the month in the Western Conference over Nikola Jokic. And he deserved it, frankly. Just looking at his numbers, he was freaking great. He can win a series by himself. He has nearly done it the last two seasons against the Clippers. He probably won't have to face the Clippers this time around. And if that's the case, I I fear for the team that has to face him because he is going to be unbelievable. I do think that they struggle with offensive rebounding, though. Like in some of the things that they do, when they do grab an offensive rebound, they aren't very good at capitalizing on that. That's one of the things they when they when they miss a shot, that's it. They aren't going to make up for that for the most part because Dwight Powell is not an offensive rebounder. He's a leaper, but he's too small. He's too thin. In addition, rim protection. Like Dwight Powell is a thin player as a center, and nobody else on that team can really protect the rim either. That was what Chris Tapps was there to do, and now he's not there. So I do think that if you can get them mixed up, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to go right to the rim and not get blocked. So the Nuggets are going to have to watch out for that if they match up with this team. Last thing, they're too dependent on Luka in the clutch. And what I mean by that is it's not a knock on Luka, It's just that he has to do so much, so, so much for the entire game that when you don't have other options that you can go to consistently, then you're going to struggle. Their clutch offense is actually really bad, and it's not because Luka is a bad player, 
but he gets tired. He settles for the 30-foot step-back threes, doesn't necessarily have the explosiveness off the bounce late in games, and I do think that that leads to some pretty tough shots, and they can struggle there. So they're a team that you have to wear down. You have to wear down Luka throughout a series, and the Clippers were able to do that. Uh, It didn't look good for the early parts of that series last year, but that is kind of the model, I think, is to weather the storm. If I'm the Nuggets, I think I have a, a 7 out of 10 confidence that the Nuggets can beat them. I think that Aaron Gordon is a perfect player to try to wear him down. I think that Jeff Green is a good player to match up physically. I think that Austin Rivers and Will Barton, they aren't going to be great options because they're not big enough all the time. But if you show bodies, if you hedge If you get the ball out of his hands, if you force him around a wide hedge, if he has to do a lot, then he'll be fine. Or then like it's the team is going to be fine. The Nuggets would be fine unless he just becomes the best player of all time, which I mean, he's frankly capable of doing. So we will see. Finally, on this one, let's go with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, They are in a position right now. At 34 and 29, the Nuggets are 36 and 25. 36 and 26, excuse me. The T-Wolves have three losses. They need to make up those losses. It's not a situation where it's going to be easy for them, but they do have one more game against Denver. I do feel like they're in the same tier as the Nuggets, as the Jazz, as the uh, Mavericks, whatever. Or at least they're kind of on the bridge of that. Their win-loss in 15 games, or the win-loss on the season, like I said, 34-29. and 29. Last 15 games, it's 10-5. and five. They've found a, a pretty solid rhythm here where you know who they are, you know what they're doing, and they've been playing pretty well of late. Offensive rating, ninth overall. Defensive rating, 16th overall. They've turned it around from an awful defense to an average defense, and they've had to sacrifice a little bit on the offensive end in order to do that but not a ton, not too much. Head-to-head with the T-Wolves this season, the Nuggets are 1-2. and I think Nuggets fans will know, yeah, this is a team that Denver could struggle with, for sure. They aren't the best from a talent standpoint, but they do have talented players. Anthony Edwards, very, very good. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, very, very good. Carl Anthony Towns, obviously great. But here are the things that they do best. On the defensive end, they cause turnovers. And I think we saw this with Denver. The the scheme that Denver was running back in 2018-19, 2019-20, where they would hedge Jokic, they would have Paul Millsap on the back line, that was a good way to cause turnovers for teams. They struggled with Denver because Jokic would always get get his hands in the passing lanes. And then Paul Millsap was so smart about poking stuff away. And the guards were able to get very aggressive in their coverages. And then Denver would just rotate out. The T-Wolves are running a lot of the same stuff. And they're kind of copying the way that Denver was doing it too. Where Vanderbilt is on the back line at times. And Anthony Edwards is on the back line at times. And sometimes it's Carl Anthony Towns. But for the most part, they are scrambling everywhere. They're causing chaos 
And Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt do a great job of that. They are great at it. They also rebound the ball well on the offensive end. That's Jared Vanderbilt. That's Carl Anthony Towns. Those guys do a great job of when they play the dunker spot spacing well, when Carl Anthony Towns is stretching players out uh, from above the three-point line, it allows the offensive rebounding lanes underneath. Patrick Beverly does a good job of hunting out some open shots as well. They are a good team. And acting like they're anything but, I think, is crazy. They do a great job of some of these little things, these little details. And another one is spacing. We saw what this team did to the Nuggets before the All-Star break. They space the floor well, and they do it in different ways with Carl Anthony Towns at the five, with Jared Vanderbilt at the dunker spots. It creates a lot of open gaps, and they take advantage of those gaps well. They get players up in the air on pump fakes. Uh, They have the driving lanes when Towns is in the game and, and when they have different players that take the attention of those teams away. It just seems like Nuggets 2018-19 in a lot of different ways. Maybe not as potent, but definitely very similar. And here's what they struggle with, though. Kind of like the Nuggets back at that point, they allow a ton of corner threes. They actually allow the most corner threes in the NBA. And it causes their defensive rebounding to struggle when they're always scrambling. They have smaller players. Vanderbilt is not a traditional four like Paul Millsap is. He's more of a thinner guy, somebody who can switch onto the perimeter a little bit more. And they can also get too guard happy when you have guys like Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell and uh, even Malik Beasley and Patrick Beverly at times. Like They'll take some questionable shots. They'll go off the dribble a little bit. They might, they probably should give it to Carl Anthony Towns a little bit more, but sometimes they don't. And so that has led them to miss out on some opportunities at times. But I do think that they're getting better at that for sure. So it's why it's listed last. In terms of Denver beating them in a playoff series, they're probably not going to match up with them. I think unless Denver is the sixth seed, Minnesota is the seventh seed, and then they each win their prospective first round matchups. I just don't see these two teams matching up at all. I think it would be very shocking if they did. But hypothetically, if they do, I think I'd give Denver a 7 out of 10 in confidence to beat the T-Wolves in this series. Denver is more talented when they get back Michael Porter, when they get back Jamal Murray. It's going to look a lot different. I totally acknowledge that. And I do think that this is like, this is looking at the team like two years ago. It's looking at the Nuggets two years ago in a lot of different ways. So we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see what they look like, but they are a good team. Like, there's no questioning that. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the play and mix and Denver's best path through the playoffs. We'll be right back. Back at it, pickaxe and roll final segments here. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
once again, I, I do this conversation about the Nuggets and the playoff matchups and things like that because I do think that Denver has a chance. And if I didn't think that Denver had a chance, that I wouldn't be holding them to such a high standard like I do on on the Twitter Bird app. Um, I do think that they are a good team, and I've kind of maintained that throughout the year, that they have weaknesses. They are, they're operating at a talent deficit right now and comparing to some of the other top teams in the NBA. But if you get back those guys, they have enough of a foundation with what Jokic has established with the variety of role players that they have that I think you can really be positive about the group that they have. So with that in mind, let's talk about what happens when the Nuggets fall into the play-in tournament. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I am going to talk about briefly some of the, the last three teams here that I'm going to briefly briefly reference. The LA Clippers, the LA Lakers, the New Orleans Pelicans. All of those teams are in the play-in range right now. The T-Wolves are in it as well, but they would be the team to kind of leapfrog Denver if there was a team that did it. Um, I doubt that the Clippers do, but the Clippers will have 34 wins. And though the Nuggets have five fewer losses than the Clippers do, it does seem like uh, the Clippers will probably not be able to leapfrog them in time and that the T-Wolves are really the only team that has a chance to. So that's why I talked about them in the previous segment. But Denver's magic number for a top six seed right now. If you do the math here, uh, the Clippers have played 63 games. They have 19 more games that they can play. They can get to a maximum of 53 wins. So Denver, who has played 62 games, they have 36 wins, so they have another 20 games that they can play. They need to get to 54 wins in order to outpace the T-Wolves because the T-Wolves are probably going to have tiebreaker, whether it be head-to-head and there is another game between the Nuggets and the T-Wolves where Denver's one and two against them. There will be one more, but even if Denver wins that one, the Nuggets are currently five and nine within the division, and the T-Wolves are seven and four. So Denver could make that up, and, and it's possible, but it does seem like the T-Wolves have an advantage there right now. So I'm just going to assume that Denver needs to get to 54 wins if you have to win every single game, or if, if the T-Wolves win every single game, which means that Denver has to get to plus 18. Their magic number is 18 right now. So that means between the number of Nuggets wins and T-Wolves losses, if that number equals 18 by the end of the season from now to the end, then Denver will be a top six seed. Full stop. Full stop. Okay. With that in mind, Denver can get a top six seed, but if they don't, if the T-Wolves make a magical run, if the Nuggets lose to them, if they're caught in the play-in tournament, then the three teams that they are likely going to have to face are the LA Clippers, the LA Lakers, and the New Orleans Pelicans. So the LA Clippers, first of all, they're about to be 34 and 31. They were 9 and 6 over their last 15 games. Their offensive rating, the Clippers, is not great. It's actually 26th in the NBA, which is nuts. Like a team with that low of an offensive rating should not have such a good record, but they do because their defensive rating is 7th. They have found a way without their top stars 
to cobble together an elite record. Or not an elite record, a good record. And it's really impressive what Ty Lue has done, what uh, all of their guys have been able to do. Reggie Jackson's the first option on that team. Marcus Morris is the second option. And then they just kind of have a rotating cast of characters for who is the guy that's going to lead them in shot attempts beyond that. It could be Brandon Boston Jr., their rookie. It could be Nicholas Batum. It could be Ivisa Zubac. It could be, I don't know who else they have. Like It was Norman Powell, but he sustained a foot injury. So I don't know when he's going to be back, but by the end of that play-in tournament mix, he might be back, and Kawhi might be back, and Paul George might be back, and they become extremely dangerous in that situation. So, despite the fact that Denver's one and one in their home in their head-to-head record, I think that they should be very concerned about this matchup because what they do to the Nuggets when the Nuggets don't have spacing is really, really impressive from a defensive standpoint. They make things so difficult for Denver that I would be very concerned if the Nuggets had to match up with them for a one-off game. They would probably just dare Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, Monte Morris, Jeff Green. They'd probably dare all of those guys to just shoot. They're not going to let Jokic touch the ball. They're going to force the other guys to shoot. And if those guys can make shots, then great. If not, then Denver's going to be in a tough spot. So, LA Lakers less tough of a spot. 27 and 34, about to be 27 and 35 on the season. Win-loss of 4 and 11 in their last 15, and it might be worse than that after tonight. Offensive rating of 24th, defensive rating of 15th. So their defense hasn't made up as much ground as the Clippers' defense has, and that's the reason why they suck. Denver's head-to-head against them, 1-0, Denver should not be concerned about this matchup. Even if they get back Anthony Davis, even if they have LeBron James, this is a team that Denver should beat, no matter what. Denver has more talent than them. They are together, they play better, and there's no way in hell that Anthony Davis should give Denver and Nikola Jokic any trouble at this point. They don't have the personnel to do it. So I do think that the Nuggets would be licking their lips at this stage if they had to do that. Finally, the New Orleans Pelicans. Win-loss of 26-36. and 36. Over the last 15 games, though, they're 8-7. and seven. And they've done a really good job over the course of this last stretch here with CJ McCollum of getting their offensive rating to 20th. It wasn't good before. Uh, but they're now starting to figure some things out. Defensive rating is 18th. They're head-to-head against Denver. The, the Nuggets are 2-1 and one in their matchups against New Orleans, but it does feel like those games have all been close. And Denver got caught this last game. Uh, they were kind of messing around a little bit, but the, the Pelicans also just kind of gave it out to them. So if I were the Nuggets, I would be concerned about this matchup. This is something that if you're the Nuggets, you do not want to be caught in a one-off game where the Pelicans could bring back Zion Williamson and they already have Brandon Ingram and they already have CJ McCollum and Herb Jones was giving you issues and Jonas Valanciunas is now the fifth best scorer on the team. Like they'd be in a really 
they're they're a good team. They have a good collection of talent, and they just have a lot of guys that give Denver some issues. So I would be concerned. Denver might not be, but I do think that in a one-off game, the Pelicans could absolutely beat Denver. So this is why staying out of the play-in tournament is a big deal, because if you're the seven seed and the Clippers is the eight seed, they suddenly get back their top players and you're fighting for your lives in a one-off game against a team that's really, really good. And you're fighting for your lives in the next one if you lose, likely against the Pelicans. And if not then them, then you get a date with the Lakers who had to win a game in order to beat them or in order to face Denver. So I think that Denver should be trying to avoid the play-in tournament at all costs. That means focusing up on these next 20 games. It means not letting the OKC Thunder punk you, which is what happened. And it means taking advantage of the matchups that Denver does have, where they can really focus in and try to win some of these games against teams that should not compete with Denver. In my mind, the best, the best case situation for the Nuggets, the best standings, one, Phoenix, two, Memphis, three, Golden State, four, Utah, five, Dallas, six, Denver, seven, Minnesota, eight, Clippers, nine, Pelicans, 10, Lakers. Why is this the best case scenario? Where Well, number one, no Phoenix possibility until the Western Conference Finals. Denver's at the sixth seed. They played the, the third seed and then the winner of the 2-7 game. So they'd play Golden State first. And they'd play Memphis, in all likelihood, second. Number two, Utah isn't a great matchup for Denver. Despite what I think a lot of people will say about Jokic dominates Gobert and there's a lot of stuff out there that the Nuggets dominated the, the Jazz in the bubble. Well, they dominated with Jamal Murray, putting 50, 50, or, yeah, 50, 42, and 50, excuse me, in three consecutive games. And in the end, they only won those games by like a combined 20 points. So it's not like it was this drastic win. Denver, in that case, they had like, the best possible performances that they, that they could get, and they still struggled to keep pace with what Utah was doing. So I just don't think that Denver wants to mess with that again. I would rather them face Golden State. I would rather them face Memphis. Maybe they could beat Utah, but the combination of playing Utah and then Phoenix is not great. You would prefer to definitely face Golden State and then face Memphis. Because here's the thing, if you play Golden State in the first round and they eliminate you, it's not that big of a deal because they were one of the top teams in the NBA for the entire year. They have Steph Curry. They're going to be expected to win. And if you lose that, it's not the worst thing in the world because you had guys that were out. If you beat them, that's a big storyline. That's something that you can parrot for the entire offseason, even if you lose in the next round. Because at least you won a playoff round. There's kind of a built-in excuse this year because of the injuries. I don't want to like go to that well consistently. But I do think it is one of those things for the Nuggets. 
where they kind of have this built-in excuse that if they lose, it's okay. And I do think that it is okay. Like I'm not just saying that to be a contrarian here. I think that they have guys that are injured. And if everybody was full strength going into a series against Golden State and then you lose, then you're a little bit more concerned. But Denver has proven that they can match up with a Draymond-less Golden State. Let's see what happens if they have to face Draymond. But if they do face him, then you get Memphis in the second round and all like, and that that just feels like the Memphis uh, Memphis's Denver in the Denver Portland series in 2019, and we know how that ended. Like it wasn't great for Denver because the veteran team won. They had a guy in CJ McCollum who was just fantastic. I could see Jamal Murray by that point, by the middle of May, late May. You're in a situation there where he's feeling pretty good coming off of the ACL injury. And then maybe he does something special against a team like Memphis. You never know. But I do think the Nuggets have a pretty good matchup there, or at least better than Phoenix. And then if you get to the Western Conference Finals, then who cares at that point? Like you're playing with house money. And if it's Phoenix at the end of the tunnel, then hopefully you beat them. If it's Utah or Dallas, then that means that they beat Phoenix and you have an easier road anyway. So you hope that somebody else can take them out. If not, they're going to be okay. You get to face them. You get to see whether that could really uh, that could really make a difference. But I am very interested to see how these playoffs go. I do think that the Nuggets have a number of scenarios that are still out there. Obviously, there's two big variables that can change everything. But I do think the playoffs and talking about the playoffs from this perspective is a big deal. And people need to respect these teams. If Denver gets into a first-round series with any team, they're probably going to be operating at a disadvantage. So it's going to take a big effort from Jokic and from everybody in order to just win a round. So we'll see if they can get it, get it straight over the course of these next 20 games and maybe give them more confidence heading into the playoffs. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. I will be back Friday night, Saturday morning, as I recap Denver's game against the Houston Rockets. We will have to see how that one goes, but if it's anything like the OKC game, then everybody should be very pleasant afterwards. Should be great fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys very soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.